Romans chapter 8. And there's a story in the Bible about a king that came against the armies of Israel. It was the king of Aram. And the Bible says that he wanted to destroy the people of Israel. And every time he plotted against Israel, there was a man of God. His name was Elijah who would hear and understand his plot. He would listen. He would actually hear what the king was saying in his own bedroom. He had, Alexa has nothing on the prophet of Elijah. And, um, and the Bible says that every time that the king would plot something, he'd know exactly where he was going and what he was going to do. And he'd go back to the king of Israel and he'd say, watch out, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, every time the king of Aram wanted to go and do something, the, the, he was thwarted because of the knowledge that the, the prophet Elijah had. And as a result of that, the king became so angry, he, he called those officials together and he said to his officials, he said, who is the spy in our camp? Who's telling the people of Israel, the, the, the king of Israel, what we're going to do? And the, the officer said, there's no spy amongst us, but there's a man of God, and the man of God hears what we're going to do. Listen to me. God still is raising up young men and young ladies that hear the voice of God. Come on, somebody that have the, the spirit of discernment, that understand the times and understand the strategies of the enemy. And the Bible says that he became so angry at that that he said, listen, who is this man? He said, well, this official said, it's Elijah. And he said, I, I'm going to send an army. And so he sent an army to Dothan, the city of Dothan. And the Bible says he sent a mighty army. Can you imagine one man a man of God who could hear the voice of God that causes such a ruckus that he's got to send the whole army against this one man. And the Bible says this whole army gathers around the city of Dothan and the, and the servant of the prophet Elijah wakes up in the morning, he looks out the window and he sees all of these soldiers that are surrounded around the city. And the Bible says that the servant of Elijah said to Elijah, what are we going to do now? We're done. We're finished. There's no way in the world that we can stand against this great army. And the Bible says that Elijah woke up, he got out of bed and he said, God, open his eyes that he might see that there are more for us than against him. And the Bible says the servant's eyes were open and he could see the army of the living God all around. And so this afternoon, for a few moments, my prayer is that all of us, all of our eyes in this room, if you are a born-again believer, if you know Jesus Christ, if you know that you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, if you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins, he rose on the third day, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, if you know that God is for you, you, then no one can stand against you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And in Romans chapter 8, and we've actually been looking at the whole chapter of Romans chapter 8, Paul the Apostle gets to this point where there's a crescendo of thanksgiving. There is a crescendo of knowledge and understanding. And he asks this rhetorical question. What's a rhetorical question? It's a question that actually demands a response. It's actually not asking the question so that you can give the answer. But it's actually demanding a response for us. And so Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what shall we say? 
say concerning all these things. Now, Paul the Apostle is looking back in Romans chapter 1 all the way to Romans chapter 8, and he says, knowing all these things, understanding all these things, understanding that in Romans chapter 5, the Bible says we have been justified through the blood of Jesus Christ, and because of that, we've got peace with God, we've become friends of God, we've been reconciled with God. In Romans chapter 6, don't you know that you've been buried with Christ in baptism, raised to new life? Therefore, because of that, don't give your members of your body over to immorality, because now you can live above sin. And then Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 7, what shall save me from this wretched man that I am? Who will rescue me from this wretched man that I am? I find my victory. I find my redemption. I find my freedom in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh so that we now would live in the power of the spirit. And as a result of that now, there's no condemnation. I'm complete in Jesus Christ. And because I'm complete in Jesus Christ, I've got the Holy Spirit living on the inside. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, I know this one thing, that everything that's happening in my life is happening for my good and for the glory of God. And I know that God is at work in all things, no matter what it is. And I know this one thing, that nothing in all the world will separate me from the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ. Because of all of that, Paul the Apostle says, what should we say about all these things that we've learned for eight weeks? He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Now, in the Greek, it really means since God is for us. In other words, he's not asking the question, is God for us? And I'm going to ask you that question in a moment in a different light, in a different context. But, but he's saying, since God is for me, then no one can stand against me. Since God is for me, no matter what I go through in my life, I know that I'm going to be the last man standing. Since God is for me, I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Since God is for me, I'm the head and I'm not the tail. I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed going out. If God is for me, since God is for me, then I'm able to face every giant. I'm able to face every obstacle. I'm able to face every trial. I'm able to face every problem. I'm able to face every challenge. If God is for me, there's no demon in hell. There's no situation. There's no one. There's nothing that can defeat me. If God is for me in every battle, in every fight, in every encounter, in every challenge, then I know that I know that I know that no matter what comes my way, I'll be the last one standing. Come on, somebody. Help me out today. Now, 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 now listen to me for a moment. I'm going to be honest with you today. God is not for everyone. Now, I know the world wants to tell you that God is for everyone. But God is not for everyone. I know the world tells you that there's many ways to get to God. There's a whole religion that says that there's Many ways to get to God. You choose the way and you're going to get to God because God loves you and no matter what happens, you're going to still get to God. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man goes to the Father but through me. Now, this is really, really critically important 
This is the heart of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. If I gave you this mathematical problem, two plus two, what is two plus two? Everybody, this is not a trick question. What is two plus two? Now, let me ask you a question. If I decided that two plus two is 10, would it be 10? No matter what I decide, no matter what I believe, two plus two is four. Now, if I decided that two plus two is 10, who are you to tell me that is four? Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to believe? If I want to believe it's 10, then I have my prerogative to believe that it's 10. But friends, as long as I know the, the laws of physics and the laws of mathematics and the laws of this world and the laws of this universe, two plus two will always be four. You take two eggs and you put two more eggs together, it's always gonna make four eggs. It'll never make 10 eggs. You can believe you're gonna have 10 eggs, but you're gonna only have four eggs. Why? Because two plus two. I don't care what planet you're on. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what anybody's told you. Two plus two is four. You'll always have four eggs. If you were bit by a snake and I came to you and I told you just here, here's some bubble gum, chew the bubble gum. And if you believe really hard and you really believe this bubble gum will save you, you could chew this bubble gum all you want. You're going to die. And friend, when we sin against a perfect God, when we sin against a holy God, a just God, he's a loving God, but he's a holy God. And when we sin against the righteous God, it demands a righteous, holy, perfect payment. And only Jesus Christ is the righteous, holy payment that is acceptable to God so that when we come to God, we can only come to God with one name, with one act, with one act of redemption. That act of redemption happened on the cross so that you and I would have everlasting life. So there's only one way to get to God and if we don't go through that way I'm sorry to tell you but the Bible says that you are an enemy of God enemy of God see God is so holy and righteous that in our sinful state we're actually hostile and we're actually alienated from God and we have become an enemy of God God must stand opposed to us that's really important for us to understand. I know we don't want to hear that, but that's the heart of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. If Jesus died on the cross and you could get yourself to heaven in any other way, then he'd be a fool for dying on the cross. I want you to notice what Paul the apostle tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were hostile in your minds, because of your evil deeds. But now he has reconciled. That word in the Greek has this understanding of two enemies that are actually brought together to become friends together. We were enemies of God, but now Christ brought us together through his sacrifice. But now he reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, set apart, unblemished, without sin, and blameless in God's presence. He made you friends with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, since we have been justified, just as we've never sinned before by his blood, how much more? Everybody say, how much more? How much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? For if when you were enemies of God, you were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? Everybody say, how much more? Having been reconciled, brought together, shall we be saved through his life. 
So let me ask you a question again. Is God for you? The only way you can ask, answer that question is to say, yes, I have received the solution to my sin problem in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe in my heart that Christ was raised from the dead. I confess with my mouth that he's Lord and I am saved through what Christ has done. And so through God's wisdom, through the wisdom of God, he foreknew. The word in the Greek is prognosis. It's this understanding. He understood our prognosis in the wisdom of God, in the will of God. He predestined in the way of God. He called you in the work of God. He justified you so that you would worship God and that you might be glorified with Christ. And now, if God is for you, then who can stand against you? It is so critical. It will change your whole life. When you understand that as a child of God, as an heir of God, as a joint heir with Jesus Christ, having peace with God, now God is for you. How important is it to know that God is for you? Eugene Lang, he's a wealthy, wealthy man, and he went to visit his old neighborhood in which he went to elementary school, high school to, and, and um, he ended up going to this school where the neighborhood had changed drastically and, and the students in the neighborhood just didn't believe that they could ever graduate. They never believed that they could make it and the dropout rate was so high in this area of Harlem. And as a result of that, Eugene Lang went back and he was the guest speaker at the, the elementary school graduation. And Eugene uh, began to implore the students. He began to speak to the students about how they could make it, how there was a seed of greatness on the inside, that, that they had to dream big and keep on working hard and keep on working hard and, and, and believe and, 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 and go to junior high and graduate from junior high and then graduate from high school. And then he just, he looked out at the crowd and he noticed that they weren't tracking with him. He noticed that they weren't really listening to him. They didn't believe it. Deep down in his heart, they did not believe that they could make it. And all of a sudden, through inspiration, he blurted out, and if you graduate from high school, I'm going to stand with you. Not only that, but I'm going to pay. I'm going to give you a scholarship to go to college. And all of a sudden, there was a silence in the audience. And all of a sudden, everyone began to erupt and began to applaud and began to feel a sense of destiny. And now, uh, he, Eugene Lang has actually sponsored 12,000 students and gave them scholarships to college and seen some great things happen. You see what happened? Those students knew that somebody was for them. And friend, I want to tell you something. God is running on the sideline of your life, and he's saying, keep running. Don't stop. Don't look behind you. Keep running for the goal. I'm for you. I'm for you. Keep on going. Get back up. When you get knocked down, get back up again. Hallelujah. When you go through the fire, I'm for you. When you got to climb a mountain, I'm for you. When you go through the difficult signs, times of your life, when you face cancer, when you face disease, when somebody walks out on you, I don't know what is going on in your life. Maybe your husband walked out on you. Maybe your children don't talk to you. Maybe nobody's standing with you. I want you to know the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who said, let there be light, the God who's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who holds all things together, he is for you. And if God is for you, no one can stand against you. Hallelujah. If God is for you, you're going to be the last one standing. Come on, somebody. Say, God is for me. Come on, stand up right now and say, God is for me. Say it like you mean it. God is for me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You may be seated. God is for you. And, and, and 
And Paul the Apostle, he actually asked four rhetorical questions as a result of understanding all these things and that God is for him. So the first thing he says is, if God is for me, no one can stand against me. Now listen, now listen, track with me. He didn't say no one can come against me. He said no one can stand against me. Because here's the truth. The truth is, there's a lot of things that are going to come against you in life. How many of you have had to face some stuff in your life? Come on, let me see your hands. The rest of you, you're in denial, and that's not just a river in Egypt. In life, there's a lot of stuff that's going to come against us. Sickness is going to come against us. Disease is going to come against us. Depression and anger and fear. People, people are going to come against us. You know, not everyone's going to like you. Get used to it, Christian. Jesus said that if you follow him, you're going to be persecuted. If you do the right thing, somebody is going to come against you. Listen, if nobody's coming against you, you're not doing the right thing. If everybody loves you and everybody speaks well of you, Jesus said you're not, you're not tracking, you're not being a disciple, you're not being a true follower of Christ. Because when you stand up and when you want to do the right thing, when you go against the tide, somebody's going to come against you. Come on, somebody. But listen, the enemy, the devil, he's going to come against you. When you rise up and when you say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of my sorry life, but I'm going to make a difference in this life. I'm going to leave a legacy of faithfulness and righteousness. I'm going to bring people to Jesus. I'm going where the darkness is and I'm pulling people out of the darkness and bring them into the light. The enemy is not going to like that and he's going to come against you. Hallelujah. But Paul the apostle said, when the enemy comes against you, when anyone comes against you, know this one thing. You might have to fight through it. You might have to battle through it. You might have to face your giants. You might have to walk through the fiery furnace. You might have to climb the mountain. But know this one thing. You will be the last one standing. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You'll be the last one standing. Paul the Apostle, he, he actually asked the second question. And it's all, listen to me, it's all in the context of trials and tribulation. Listen, we need to read Romans in its context. We need to read Romans chapter 8 and understand that Paul talking about troubles and He's talking about hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and danger and the sword. Paul says, if God is for us, if God is with us, then even though we face all these things, all these battles and all kinds of trials in our life, he said, you're going to be the last one standing. Why? Because, you know, the, the truth is the Bible is filled with people who stood against the odds because they were just con convinced with all their heart that God was for them. People came against Moses. They came against Joshua. They came against David, Elijah, Jesus, Paul, and the church. But God used every single one of these people that came against God's people for his glory and for their good. God used Pharaoh for the good of Israel. God used Goliath for the good of David. God used Joseph's brothers for the good of Joseph and for all of his people. He even used the devil to complete the work that Jesus came to do. On Good Friday, the devil thought that he'd be the last one standing. 
But on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave and proved that God can use the worst situation, the hardest circumstance, the toughest opponents as puppets in his hand to finish the work that he started in us. Glory to God. And God is at work in every situation. Glory to God. In other words, there is absolutely nothing or no one who will ever defeat a child of God. That's why Paul declares, no, in all these things, what things? Trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Joseph is a powerful example of a God who was for him while he was walking through very difficult times in his life. Joseph never gave up because he knew that God was for him. And today, don't give up, Christian, because God is for you. Even if you're in the midst of a very difficult situation in your life, you just rise up and say, God, if you're for me, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to be the last one standing. But I, I want you to notice the second rhetorical question that Paul asked. He said, since God is for us, if God is for us, then how much more will God give us everything that we need? I mean, I want you to say this with me. If God is for me, how will he not give me all things? Now, now I want you to know, to American Christians, this gets a little complicated because American Christians forget what a need is compared to what a want is. So sometimes we are disappointed with God because we didn't get our wants. We get angry at God and we wonder, does God really love me because I didn't get a new car this year? I didn't get an upgrade on my iPhone this year. Remember the context. Paul the Apostle says, in trouble, in hardship, in persecution, in nakedness, in famine, in danger, in the sword, we are still convinced that God is going to meet every one of our needs according to his riches and glory. Paul declares God is going to always take care of his people. Paul says God is always going to provide. God's always going to bless. He's always going to come through one way or another. Even when I'm facing difficulty in my life, even when I'm facing famine in my life, God's going to sustain me, and he's going to use all those things for my good and for his glory. God is going to come through, and he's going to give me all that I need, and ultimately he's going to give me all the things that I thought I wanted on this side of heaven. He's going to give me what I need and want on, in glory. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He, he tells us why we should be absolutely convinced that God is going to come through every time and meet our needs. This is what he says. He says, I know that God's going to meet my needs because he demonstrated the bigger for the lesser. In other words, he says, I know that God is going to meet my needs because he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Paul tells us if God not only gave up his son, if God didn't spare his son, if God didn't withhold his very best, if God didn't deny us his very best, but he gave his very best for us. How many times do we cry out to God, God, are you really for me? Do you really care? Are you really on my side? And Paul says, what can we say about all of these things if Jesus left heaven and he became a man and he was tempted in every way like we are tempted? He was acquainted with sorrow and grief. 
and he was tried as a criminal. He was beaten, mocked, and spit upon. If Jesus was nailed to the cross and the Father gave him up to suffer and die for us, don't ever for one minute ever doubt that God will give you what you need and more. He will give you all things, the greater to the lesser. The greatest God gave us, the greatest gift that we could ever have. Paul describes it as an indescribable gift that God gave us his only begotten son. And Paul says if God gave us his only begotten son, we could be assured of this very thing, that the hardest thing becomes the easiest thing to believe, that if he gave us the hardest thing, that it's easy for us to believe that he's going to give us all things. Come on, somebody, help me out today. That's why Jesus said you can ask and keep on asking. You can seek and keep on seeking. You can knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open because everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say, how much more? It's the how much mores of Scripture. How much more your heavenly Father who loves you with an infinite love for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only one majestic glorious son so that we might have an everlasting life. We're convinced that God will meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory because the greatest riches he gave us was his son. Maybe this afternoon you're wondering if God is for you. Just think of what he already gave to you in his son. The third rhetorical question that Paul asks, if God is for us, since God is for us, who can bring any charge against us? Who can ever condemn us? Paul declares in Romans chapter 8, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? In other words, if God chose you, who dares to bring a charge against you? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Because God is for us, because God has already been there and it always will be there for us. Who can bring any charge against us? See, I know a lot of people who want to condemn me. They do. I know that the devil wants to condemn me. You know, Satan is called Satan for a reason because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's what it means to be an accuser of the brethren. So Satan knows more about us sometimes than we know about ourselves. Satan knows more about us than anybody else knows about us. And so there are people who want to pull us down. You know why they want to pull us down? You know why they want to condemn us? They, you know why they come against us? Do you know why they want to criticize us? Because it makes them feel better about their own sinfulness. They'll drag us out of the house and try to stone us to death. Because it makes them feel better about their own wickedness their own sinfulness. But there is one who comes to accuse us day and night. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's Satan himself. He's the devil. And the devil is the father of lies. You see, and listen, he will take a truth about you and turn it into a lie when it comes to how much God loves you or doesn't love you. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says that the enemy is the accuser and he accuses us day and night before God. He comes like he did with Job to God and says, Job will not serve you if you take the hedge around him away from him. He'll run like the, fi the house is on fire. He he'll, he'll abandon you. He, he accused Job of his motives to, as why he was serving God. 
And the truth is the devil will come with a long list. He you know what? The devil's keeping a list on you, and he's checking it twice to see if you've been naughty or nice. And here's the truth. The truth is that many of us have been naughty. You know why? Because we still struggle. See, he knows what Steve Malazzo does. He keeps a good track of what Steve Malazzo does. He's got a list. He journals everything that I do. And he wants to make sure that he brings accurate accusations to God. Why? Because he's the prosecuting attorney. The truth is the devil is the father of lies. And he comes to the, to the enemy and he takes that which is true and turns it into a lie as to where we stand with God today. And like a prosecuting attorney, he presents the evidence. Here, here it is, God. It's recorded, it's verified, it's certified, and it's notarized. It's a case of gossip. It's a case of sexual sin in the mind. It's hatred, it's bitterness, it's cheating, it's lying, it's coveting, it's self-smugness, it's laziness, it's drunkenness, it's pride, it's jealousy, it's wanting more than we need, it's missing opportunities to love God and love other people, and the list goes on and on and on. And the truth is, we are guilty. I'm guilty of those crimes. And maybe we're not guilty of all those crimes, but we know we fall short, we mess up deep down in our heart. We know that our hearts are prone to wander away from God, and our hearts are also often preoccupied with prideful, self-sufficient, and self-absorbed idolatry in our life. And the devil, Satan, he knows us full well. He knows who we are. He knows what we've done. He knows the sin that we've committed. He knows the struggles that we're still dealing with, the shortcomings that we still have. And the list goes on and on. And he habitually whimpers and comes before God himself and wants to accuse us. But here's where Paul the apostle said, if God is for me, if I'm in right standing with God, if I have been positionally sanctified in God, even though progressively I'm becoming more like Jesus every day and I'm still struggling with certain things in my life, if God is for me, then who can stand to condemn me? Who can stand to come and accuse me? I want you to know what he says. He says, this is how we know that he cannot do that. Because listen to me, Jesus died he said even more than that, he rose from the dead and Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God in glory and he ever lives to make intercession for you. So I want you to know that the devil comes into the throne room of God and he takes your list with him and he comes before the Father and says, Steve Malazzo did this, this and this and Jesus, he rises off his throne and he gets into the face of the devil and says, get behind him, hallelujah. He's blood washed, hallelujah. I I died for him. I rose on the third day. I sent the Holy Spirit. I sanctified him. I redeemed him. I washed him clean. He's clean. Hallelujah. And all his sins. And he takes that journal that the devil is keeping. He rips it up and says, and I've taken his sin and I've thrown it in the sea of forgetfulness never to remember it again. As far as the east is from the west, I have removed his sin. Devil, you have no jurisdiction over this man of God, this child of God. If God is for him, no one can stand against them and no one can accuse them. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah! And I know some of you struggle with guilt and condemnation. I know some of you struggle with your past. 
Some of you struggle with the things that you did long ago, but I want you to know if you're a child of God and God is with you and God is for you, no one can condemn you. No one can accuse you of that which God has already dealt with in your life. Put it behind you, forgetting the past, and press on. Keep running because God's on the sidelines saying, I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for you. And if I'm for you, no one can stand against you. And I'm for you, I'll provide what you need when you need it, even though you don't deserve it. I'll meet all your needs according to my riches and glory. If I'm for you, no one, not even yourself, can condemn you. But I think the most powerful statement that Paul could ever make is found in Romans chapter 8 when Paul says, knowing all these things, what things? Trials and tribulation and all kinds of situations. Hey, can you guys fly back every Sunday morning and do this at the end for me? I like it. Hmm. He says, knowing all these things, listen to me, we are more than conquerors. The last eight weeks, I pray that your eyes of your heart would be open, as Paul the Apostle says, that you would know that you're a winner, that you're more than a conqueror, that you could do all things through Christ who gives you strength, that you're going to be the last person standing. And Paul says, I'm more than a conqueror. Through him, listen to me, here's the key, through him who loves me. So Paul said, hallelujah. At the end of all of Romans chapter 8, a crescendo of thanksgiving, he says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things in the future, nor angels, nor demons, nor things created, Nothing in all the world will be able to separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. If God is for you, if God is for you and not against you, then you can know this one thing, no matter what you go through in your life, God loves you and nothing and no one will be able to separate you from that love. Paul the Apostle says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may comprehend how deep is the love of God. How deep is the love of God that it goes deeper than any pit that you've ever been in in your life. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know how wide is the love of God. That the love of God is so wide that it, it, it can accept anyone from anywhere, no matter who you are, black or white, Hispanic, Italian. Whoever you are in this room, no matter where you've been, it's wide enough to accept you into God's kingdom. Hallelujah. He said, I pray that you might understand. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might understand how long is the love of God. How long is the love of God that God is so long-suffering with us that when we run away from God, God's waiting for us with his arms wide open because his arms are so wide enough that he's waiting for you. Maybe today you're here and you've been running from God. God apprehended you today. Maybe you came for a baby dedication. 
You just came as a wonderful deed, a gesture. But God apprehended you today and spoke a word in your heart today. And you know that you know that you know that you've run away from God. God is waiting for you. He said, I pray that your eyes would be open to understand how deep and wide and, and long and high is the love of God. How high that no matter what mountain you have to climb, no matter what situation you've got to confront in your life, he will give you strength to get up that mountain. He'll be waiting on top of that mountain. Every once in a while, he'll come down and give you a push and run back and wait for you because he loves you so much. He said, and that love would establish you, and you'd be rooted and grounded in the depth of God's love. Paul says, if God is for you, then no one and nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. One question, while your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed today, is God for you? And the only way that you could say God is for you is that one day you came and said, God, I accepted you as my Savior. Jesus, I accepted you as my Redeemer. Jesus, I accepted your sacrifice on the cross so I might have eternal life. Let me ask you a question. You're here today and say, Pastor, I don't know if I die today, I'd go to heaven. I don't know if God is for me, but today I want to leave this place knowing that God is for me. I want you to raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you right here, right now. God bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you in the balcony today. I want to know that God is for me today. Anyone else today? Would you stand with me for a moment? Would you all stand right now as we draw this service to a conclusion? The most important thing that we could do today is invite people to know that God is for them. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. I'm going to ask you to do something. It takes a lot of courage. You know, the truth is sometimes I, I hesitate to do this because, I don't know, I don't want to put people on the spot. I don't want people to do things through emotions. But, you know, Jesus said this. Look at me. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny, me, deny you before my Father. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and come follow me. Today, as an act of following God, as a gesture of, hey, man, I'm not looking back. I'm going forward today. In this church, we usually do something that's so important. It's the, it, really, it's, it's the moment of decision. Look at me. Look at me. As I close right now, everyone has to come to a decision in their life. Is God for me or is God against me? I want God to be for me. So I'm going to ask you right now to do something sacred. No moving around. This is the most important part of this service. This is a moment where somebody's life can be changed forever. So I'm going to ask you to do something today. As sacred and as respectful and honorable as you can for another human life. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. This is not a moment to joke, not a moment to laugh. But I want you to look at them and say, listen. I want you to say, if you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? And if they say, no, I don't know. I want you to extend your hand towards them. I don't want you to force them, but I want you to say, listen. Let's, let's go to God today. Together. Let's come to God together. Let's... let's Let's get out of where we are and move into our destiny with God today. And so I'm going to ask the counselors to come. And I'm going to be standing right here. I don't need to run anywhere. <laughs> I've done four services today. I've been running all day. But I don't need to run anywhere else today. I just need to 
know that you're taken care of today. I want to pray. I want to personally pray a prayer over your life. So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to say, do you know for certain that if you die today, you go to heaven? And the person says, I don't know. I want you to grab him by the hand and say, come on, let's go up front. And, and I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to get out of your seat and meet me right here. Just be brave enough to say, I'm giving my life to God today. Come on, do it right now. And then start making your way right now. Come on. If you raised your hand, come on, come on. Come on, meet me right now. Meet me right now. Come on, come on. God bless you. God bless you. Meet me. Meet me at the altar today, we call it. Meet me here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Somebody else, you say, I want to I wanna be right with God. I want to know that God is for me. You come right now. You come right now. You come right now. You come right now. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, and through it all. Sing it through it all. Come on, there's, there's others that need to come today. You say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm giving my life to you today, Lord Jesus. Give me my life, Lord God. Now, you might say, Pastor, I'm a believer today. Come on, stay focused. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. But Pastor Steve, I'm going to live my life knowing that God is for me. No matter what goes on in my life, I'm not going to let the enemy, I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to let anybody tell me to go backwards. I'm going forward. I want you to get out of your seat right now and come up here and say, today I'm moving forward. I'm going forward. I want you to get out of your seat and come today. Say, I'm moving forward today. I'm moving forward today. Come on. Come on. You come today. You say, yes, Lord, I'm giving my life to God. Yes, I'm not going back anymore. I'm not going back. I'm going forward today. We're going to pray right now. Come on. Anybody else, you need to come today. Praise the Lord. This is what it's all about. People responding to God. People responding to God. Now, I want, before we, before we conclude, and we're going to have a prayer right now. We're going to pray right now. But before we do that, I want you to put the Overcomer Creed on right now. And everybody that's standing up here today, come on, I want you to come a little closer. Come, come, come this way, come this way, come this way. Now, we're the family of God, aren't we? Now, I want you to give these folks a big hand for being courageous enough to respond to God today. To respond to God today. We're family, aren't we? We're family, amen? So, so right now, as a family, as the family of God, right now, I want us to all say together with everybody that's standing up here, this is who we are in Christ, all right? Are you ready? I am no longer condemned. I'm free from sin and death. I'm complete in Christ. I have a new mind. I live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm a child of God Almighty. I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. My present situation could never compare to the future glory. God is at work right now, right now right now in my present situation I'm becoming more like Jesus every day God is with me and no one can stand against me Jesus is my mediator and my chief intercessor and nothing and nothing and nothing can separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus I want you all right now to pray with me. Everybody bow your heads. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for all those that responded to this call to become a disciple. God, I pray for all those that are already disciples that, that, that are deciding today that they're going to move forward in you, Lord God. 
Jesus, I pray that each one would know that you already paid the price in full for them, Lord God. And Lord, I ask that they would, that they would surrender their life to you today, Lord. Now let's pray all together. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice so that I might have life. I ask you today, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me of all my sins. Take up residence in my life. I accept you today as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. I am a child of God, and you are for me. And because you are for me, you will finish the work that you've started in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah.